Good morning. Is that good singing? I got to tell you, you... (laughs) I'm so proud of this church in so many ways, but I love the way we worship God together. We come together, broken sinners needing Jesus, carrying the world sometimes on our shoulders, and something happens here. We gather in His presence, and when the Spirit is here, it's just awesome. It's just awesome sitting up front and hearing you sing. Sing to our same great God. It's so wonderful. So thanks for coming. Thank you for joining your voices together. Thanks for loving Jesus. Thanks for being a part of the church. Wow, it is awesome. I hope uh, if you're visiting with us, um, you'll get a taste of uh, what this church is all about. And uh, really, as we love to worship God together. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, Today we finish up a series, a three-week series, entitled, A King Who Heals Sometimes. And this morning we're going to look at the sometimes. What do we do in life when we pray and we pray and we pray and God seemingly doesn't answer? We're going to look to God's Word in two places, uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to look to Revelation 21. That's been the theme of our songs this morning. About that day that's going to come where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow. Where we will see Him face to face. Where we will be with Him. When we will be like Him. And what does that mean for today? Especially when it comes to those prayers that still seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. Those prayers that don't seem to be heard or responded to. Let me ask a question as we begin. What would your life be like if God did answer all of your prayers? What would your life be like right now if God, as he hears your prayers and loves you, had answered all of your prayers that you offered up to him? The ones that you were banging on heaven's door, that person that you really thought was the right one, that job you really wanted, what would your life be like today had God answered all of your prayers? Maybe as we wrestle through that question, some of us would say, well, a loved one would be next to me right now. I mean, there'd be someone here that would be worshiping on this side of glory beside me. Some of you may say, well, I'd have a marriage. Or I'd have a marriage that was what I hoped it would be. Some of you might say here today, well, you know, if God answered all my prayers, my my son, my daughter, the one that's wounded my heart so much, she'd be back. They'd love Jesus. Maybe some of you say, "I'd, I'd be healed. I'd be set free. Maybe some would say, I wouldn't have this financial burden all over me. Maybe some would say, I'd be in a job that I loved and, or was able to find employment. Let me ask you this question. If God answered all of your prayers and answered your first prayer for a mate, who would you be married to? Kind of scary, isn't it? Well, if you've prayed long enough, you have experienced what I've experienced that sometimes our prayers aren't answered, or at least they're not answered in the time or the way we wanted to be answered. 
And if you've lived long enough, you've probably learned that there's great blessing in unanswered prayer. You've probably learned that, you know, God is wise. And thank God he hasn't given me all that I have pleaded for. I think in my own life, I see, God, you're so much wiser. Thank you. Thank you for your no's. Thank you for your not yet's. Thank you for unanswered prayer. A very funny movie, a very theologically challenged movie, suggests the TV version of Bruce Almighty. An incredible story about one man that has a a relationship with God, a face-to-face relationship with God, and he is given some divine powers. He's given powers to even answer prayers. If you've seen the movie, Uh, You know it comes on his computer. You have prayers and the number of prayers that start flooding in that he thinks is throughout the world, but it's only in a small part of Buffalo. If you've ever been to Buffalo, you know there'd be a lot of prayers there. I was born there, so I can say that. And he gets to the point where he says, you know, I'm just going to answer yes. I mean, all these people, all these voices are continually asking and asking and asking for stuff. And so finally, he, through the technology of computers, replies to them all, yes. And then what happens? It wreaks havoc. Uh, It's hilarious. A news reporter says uh, there's been 8,000 winners of the lottery today. Each one got 325. Really what happened was the world was spinning out of control. When prayers were offered and the answer was given yes, it didn't bring stability, it didn't bring hope, it didn't bring life, it brought despair. It was a pretty interesting bird's eye view of what would happen. And Bruce says in that movie, he says this, there were so many, I just gave them all that they want. And a great reply from Morgan Freeman playing God, saying, yeah, but since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? You know, we have a king who says, come to me. We have a king who says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to heal all of your infirmities. I'm going to heal all your diseases. This incredible king, this king named Jesus, has come to set us free. He says, not only am I going to heal all of your infirmities, I am going to forgive all of your sins. Unbelievable. We should rejoice. This is what was promised to us. And as we looked at the very first week in this service, in this series, we asked the question Did God promise too much and deliver too little? Last week, we looked at the story of a woman who, for 12 years, she bled. And she exhausted all of her resources. She saw every doctor she could see, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. And yet she had a contact with Jesus. And this Jesus, this one that was promised that would come, that would heal, he did. He healed her. He set her free. He gave her life and life abundantly. But we looked at that right next to the story of Kara Newman. If you were here last week, I told the story of Kara Newman, a young 12-year-old girl whose parents had faith, who believed. And this girl had a diabetic, treatable diabetic condition. And yet her parents thought, well, this King Jesus was supposed to heal. This King Jesus heals all infirmities, all diseases, forgives all sins. And with faith they prayed. And with faith they banged on heaven's door. They didn't seek medical help. They quoted scripture. And she passed away. 
We want to continue to wrestle with why. What is it about our faith? What is it about this Jesus? What is it about this king that he apparently sometimes heals and sometimes doesn't? Is it something about our faith? Remember last week we talked about sometimes we view our faith like a carnival um, game where if we have enough uh, faith, it's kind of like taking the mallet and slamming it down and having it ring the bell. And if we have enough faith and we ring the bell, God all, all of a sudden will grant our wishes. Is it about our faith? No, those people, Kara's parents, had great faith. And really, the woman who bled for 12, weeks, 12 years had very little faith. I mean, she wanted to go undetected. So what is it? What is it about a God who heals sometimes? Well, we're going to look to the Apostle Paul, a godly man who had an incredible conversion experience, who's given his whole life to Christ. We're going to look at his unanswered prayer. We're going to look at something that happened in his life, what's called a thorn in his flesh. Do you have one? Have you had one? That that one thing or that one relationship or that physical ailment or that sinful struggle that just plagues you greatly? Well, Paul had one. And he prayed, he prayed earnestly, passionately that God would remove it from him. And he didn't. What was with Paul's prayers or his lack of faith? Let's look to God's word. Let's turn again to, uh, or to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline. Um, uh, technical snafu on my part. It will, the outline will not be on the screen. The words will be. So if you have your bulletin, you may want to grab that outline so you can follow along. 2 Corinthians uh, 12, verses 1 through 10. Hey, let's be mindful. We're going to read this, and we're going to turn to John's epistle, uh, the book of Revelation, and we're going to read... A few verses in 21. But whether we're in Corinthians or Revelation, it's all God's word. It's holy. It's without error. It will never lead us astray because God loves us. He's given us this word. We can trust it. And if we live our lives according to it, it will certainly lead us to Jesus and lead us to life. Let me give you a little bit of a context to what we're about ready to read. Unbelievably, Paul, as talented and gifted as he was, he physically wasn't always a a very big presence. He wasn't always a great speaker. He talked about how he wasn't very eloquent. And he was getting a lot of heat. He was getting a lot of heat that he wasn't really a super apostle, that maybe he really didn't deserve all of the accolades that people were giving to him or the church was giving to him. The church was looking at him and wondering, who is this Paul, really? And he was just telling the church, about all the persecutions that he's gone through. I mean, this man has endured more than all of us together. The way he's been beaten, the way he's been stoned, the way he's been abandoned, the way his life has continually been in danger because of his proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And now he's going to go and he's going to tell us, he's going to boast about his weakness in Christ as others boast about their strengths and their gifts. He's going to boast not in what gifts he has, he's going to boast in his weakness that Jesus can shine through. But as he does this, he's going to tell us about some experiences. An experience that Paul had with some visions and revelations. Now, we're all going to read this, and you're going to want to stop right there when I read this and say, hey, can we bore down deep on this? And sometime we will. I'm going to give you a little bit of background today about what was happening. But really, we're going to get to the point of the thorn in the flesh and the hope of a day to come where no more tears, okay? So with that, let's launch into God's Word in verse 12, 12 verse, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. 
I will go on to the visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ. Interesting, it's not I knew a man. I know a man in Christ. Paul here is going to be talking about himself. Himself in a third person way, in a way, again, showing uh, his humility. But he says, I know of a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. This uh, letter was written probably around 55 to 57 A.D. 14 years ago would have been about 41 to 43 A.D. Probably uh, during his second visit to Jerusalem. 14 years ago, caught up to the third heaven. Very briefly, uh, third heaven is, is where God resides. They would have thought this is paradise. Uh, this is Luke 23. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is what Revelation 2 will talk about. The heaven with the dwelling place of God. They probably had a view the first heaven is a place where there's birds and clouds. The second one is the stars and constellations. And this place is paradise, this third heaven. Paul says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So he's thinking about these visions that he has had, these revelations. And I do not know uh, that, uh, and I know that this man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about something like that, but I will uh, not boast about myself except about my weakness. Let's just stop here and just think about this. Paul has an experience, and he he doesn't quite know. It was was an incredible spiritual experience that God blessed him with, uniquely as as an apostle that he wouldn't bless us with. But he says this. He says, I saw things that I can't express. And what I love about what Paul does here, it's very important. Paul doesn't use this as a cornerstone of his ministry. Because listen, this revelation that he had, he couldn't even express. It was to no use for the body. It was no use for you and me. It gave us nothing to live and to love God with more. And so instead of having this great spiritual experience and he wants to say, man, i got to tell you what I had. I want to tell you about what God did for me. For 14 years, he remained silent about it. Because he knows this is not going to build up the body. This is not going to be used to advance Christ's kingdom. God gave this to me because he knew that I was going to be persecuted to death. He knew what I was going to endure. And he has this incredible picture of what heaven is like. And so really to strengthen him and to endure. But Paul is not going to boast about this experience. And I think about how many modern day Christians want to boast about their experience compared to to their weakness, and letting Christ shine in their lives. He says in verse 6, Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Again, Paul doesn't want to be bigger than the message that he is, saying he is all about the message of the good news of Christ. Or because of these surpassingly, exceedingly great revelations... Therefore, unbelievable verse here, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
Are you here this morning pleading with the Lord? Is there something breaking your heart that has been breaking your heart that you continually have been pleading to the Lord about? Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Three times he pleaded the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It may tabernacle over me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. Let's turn to Revelation 21 and get a picture of the new heaven and new earth, the day we all long for. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated, uh, who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the end there, it's the point. It's the whole goal. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let us pray. Father God, there's many here this morning who have been pleading with you for a long time to remove a thorn, to answer a prayer. And Father, we need to know why those prayers aren't being heard. Or we trust they are being heard why they're not being responded to in the manner in which we see fit. And Father, I confess that I see so dimly and I, I don't have the right words that can answer these questions, but you do. And you choose to speak through broken vessels, broken sinners like me. So Father, would you do that which only you could do? Would you send your spirit with power into this room and and through this servant so that you would open up our ears so that we would hear the sandaled feet of Jesus. So that we could hear his words. Open up and illumine our minds, Spirit of the living God, so we can understand what does this mean? What does this mean for our lives? What does this mean for our relationship with you? What does this mean for our prayers? Give light, the light of Christ to our minds. Father, we ask that you would come and you'd You'd break apart the stony parts of our hearts, the the parts of unbelief or unrepentant sin, and that you'd speak deeply into our souls and into our beings because we need to know and we need to hear and we need to be reminded that you love us. Because when you don't answer us, sometimes we doubt. Father, we need to be empowered so we can walk out of here 
believing, knowing that you're a God who cares, you're a God who listens, and you're a God who acts upon our prayers, even when seemingly it seems like they're falling on deaf ears. God, may you and you alone receive glory. May we receive great challenge and great joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first point I have for us is this, in verse 7. It's the blessed paradox of a thorn. The blessed paradox of a thorn. In verse 7 he says, Because of surpassing great revelations, because of an incredible spiritual experience that Paul has, he's going to be given a thorn to keep him from becoming conceited. Because of being so close to God. Doesn't it seem like an incredible paradox? Because he has an unbelievable relationship with God. An unbelievable walk with God. Because he's seen things about God that really are unspeakable. God gives him a thorn in the flesh. And goes on to say, not only is it a thorn in the flesh. A very, very difficult kind of thought. He gives him a a, a messenger from Satan. One that will basically align his life and his thinking. You know, God has created us in such a way to have a relationship where we walk and talk with him. We know and love him. But because of our sinfulness, we believe we don't need him. Because we want to be self-made men and women, we want to live our lives on our own. If God gave us all of our heart's desire, you know how quick we're going to turn and run? If God gave us everything our hearts desire, you know how quickly we'd, be for, we'd forget him and we'd live for our own means? So God gave Paul basically a compass for his life called a thorn. It's, it's this paradox of this blessing where, Paul, I want you to remi- be mindful of one thing. I want you to be mindful of this thorn in the flesh that you have an enemy who hates you. You have one who wants to destroy you. Who wants to destroy your ministry. And I'm telling you, we can look at Paul. It's the same with every one of you that acknowledges Jesus as Lord. You have an enemy who hates you. Who wants to ruin your life, your marriage, your family, your jobs, your career. And Paul is going to be given a thorn in the flesh as a reminder that he is in a battle. And a reminder that he has an enemy. And a reminder that it's not about Paul and his strengths. It's all about Jesus and his strengths. I love also to see in this passage that we see a struggle between good and evil. Satan wants to destroy this man's life and his ministry. But God is going to take what Satan wants to destroy and use it for good. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Here's what we know. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh is. A lot of people have a lot of things, what it could be. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time saying, we don't know. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Was it a physical ailment, make the scales that fell off his eyes, maybe he couldn't see? Was it some, some chronic disease that he had? I don't know. But it was something that was bad enough that he pleaded with God to remove it from him. It was something bad enough that Satan would use it to torment him. But we got such great news as children of God. Listen to this great news. Even when Satan wants to kill and destroy us, even when there's a thorn in the flesh that really, really affects us, God can use it for good to accomplish his perfect purpose in our own lives. That's the whole point. That's the whole hope in Philippians 2.13. What Satan wanted to use to destroy, a thorn that was very, very difficult. God says, I'm going to use, Paul, in your life to remind you of a battle and to remind you of my sufficiency, to remind you of my goodness. It's true of you as it is with Paul. 
Whatever it is in your life, whatever that thing has been that God has brought into your life, that you've played over and over again, trust Him that He's using it in your life to remind you that you're in a battle. Trust Him that He's using it in your life to remind you of how much you need Him. Trust Him that He listens to your prayers. He knows your pain. And even if it's something in your life that an enemy wants to use to destroy you, our great God is greater, He's stronger, and He can use it for your good. One of the things we've got to clearly see is just the absolute poison of pride. I have the propensity to be a prideful person. I mean, it's amazing how much El Jefe wants it to be all about him. I just got a card from a, a former member here, uh, Matt and Karen UC. They were here with us when they were at RTS, and they had a new baby boy. He's doing ministry in Seattle, and he signs the card, El Jefe. Just wanted to let you know how things are over here. Because he remembers that I want to be, it's all about Jeff, right? We just had our last Discovering Orangewood class start this morning. We wanted to say our motto, for Christ and his kingdom, it's not about us. But oftentimes I want to live a different motto. For Jeff and his kingdom, it's all about me. And this, this thorn was given to keep Paul from being conceited because there is such a poison there is such a poison with self-conceit. When we start to focus on ourselves and make this world our own and shape God into our own image, we've got to be very, very careful because pride is so poisonous, we are given this kind of uh, pain. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was on a plane this week, um, spring break for many of us. Some of us went by themselves without their family to Colorado to go skiing for Jeff and his kingdom. That's me. I went with a couple of pastors. Uh, we, we got together uh, as a pastor's retreat. We did actually pray and hang out together, but we found a little bit of time to ski. It was awesome. Um, and on the way back on the plane, uh, by the way, for those of you who've been around here for a while, I did not take any doors off the plane this time. You guys remember that story? Um, there's a guy about five rows sitting behind me, and he started talking about his house in Orlando and his house in Vail. He started talking about his three-car garage. He started talking about, and everybody could hear him. I mean, they came on, ding. Uh, we want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we have something wrong with the plane today. Uh, we're delayed here. We won't be taken off. There's another part. We, try. we can't hear the guy say anything because we're hearing how unbelievably, incredibly great this guy was behind us. And everybody around is like, well, that guy shut up. Is anybody going to shut that guy up? And all he talked about is his ski boat parked at this guy's house. He talked about the houses he has, the skis that he bought, the life that he had. And we all wanted to grab our little bags and puke into them, you know, and say, you got to be kidding me. And I want to say, hey, pal, if your life's that good, why don't you sit in first class? Huh? Just to answer that question. <laughs> You're back here with us by the window. That's a, that's a propensity of all of us, folks, is to be arrogant. And even this spiritual, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that my theology that I've been able to learn by God's grace, being an ordained pastor, can become a source of pride? Isn't it amazing how many things that we take and they can turn so quickly that say, look at me, instead of saying, look at Jesus? And so because of great revelations and because of great knowledge, Paul was given a blessing of a thorn to remind him, Paul, you need me, bro. Paul, you got to keep praying to me. Paul, I'm not going to use your strengths, Paul. I don't care about your strengths. It's your weaknesses, Paul. The blessed paradox of a thorn. 
I got to tell you, too, as, as your pastor and one who loves you, I've prayed for many of your thorns. And as some of you, I've prayed a really, really long time, more than three times. And there's some of you that it's been passionate. And there's some of you that sometimes the prayers have gotten a little angry because I'm like, come on, Lord, come on, cure. Come on, Lord, fix. Come on, Lord, mend. Come on, Lord, this is your child. Come on, Lord, remove that thorn. And I, and I can't explain why. i got to tell you, I don't know why some of you have what you have. I don't know. I really, really don't know. And there's a mystery to it. There's a mystery to why God's people suffer to the way they do. But listen, our fellowship, our suffering brings us into a fellowship with Jesus that we would not have apart from suffering. I know that. And I know he hears and I know he's good. And I know that there's many of us that are praying for many of you that are deeply wounded today. And I want you to know that God can use whatever pain and affliction that he has in your life for his good and and your good and for his glory. I don't know. It's a mystery. I don't know why sometimes. I really don't. But I look at Paul. Paul was a godly good man that was a better godly good man with a thorn. He was more useful. And maybe the whole point is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe we're to make our way home limping. Maybe the way home is supposed to be a way home through suffering where we really understand the suffering and sorrows of others and the suffering and sorrows of our Savior. I was talking, next week I'll be starting a series, uh, The God of All Sorrows, followed by The God of All Comfort and The God of All Glory. And uh, as I was studying with one of the pastors, he says, you know, the American way for pain is this, stop it. I don't care what you do, just stop it. Just get rid of it. If there's a thorn in your flesh, just get it out. Dig it out. Pay for it to get out. Do anything to get it out. And maybe there's a blessing of a thorn. A blessing that reminds you of a battle and reminds you of a Savior. And listen, listen. Can you picture Jesus? Did, did he have a thorn? Oh yeah, a crown of them. Were they pressed upon his skull? Does he know about thorns? You have a Savior who, who sympathizes with your weakness and loves you and in some way that's divine that I can't understand fully, he's using. And there's a blessing of a thorn. Then we have the blessed paradox of unanswered prayer. The blessing paradox of unanswered prayer. And i, I got to apologize because I'm going to do something I thought I'd never do and I'm going to do it right now and all the elders are saying, what is he going to do? <laughs> With Jeff, you have no idea what he's going to do. And I hope I never do this again, but... I'm going to read the lyrics of a country music song, okay? I'm sorry. I know it's bad, but I found this, um, the blessed uh, of unanswered prayer. Let me read this song for you. This is, I'm not going to sing it. My wife left me. My dog ran away. My beer is empty, and I don't know quite what to say. No, no, I wrote that myself. Isn't that good? That's not it. <laughs> You didn't know I could write country music so well, did you? <laughs> this is a guy named Garth Brooks. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into an old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me, and I couldn't help but think of the thing, way things used to be. She was the one that I wanted for all times, and each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish, I wish back then I'll nev- I'd never ask for anything again. 
Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man up remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. She wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams, and I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes in her eyes too, it seemed. We tried to talk about the old days. There wasn't much we could recall. I guess the Lord knew, knows what he's doing after all. As we walked away, I looked at my wife and then Why do you get emotional at these country music songs? I have no idea. <laughs> Something wrong with me. It's a thorn in my flesh. <laughs> as she walked away, as I looked at my wife, and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he does not answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Not bad. Not bad for a country music song. But here's what we got to realize. This is so important. Listen, this is, if, if anything, lean into this morning. This is what you really all got to hear. God loved you enough to send his son for you. Listen, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. That, that this God demonstrated a love for sinners like us so much. You got to hear this. That he would send his son to come. and Not just to tell you that he loved you, but to die to show you he loved you. And through the death on the cross, defeat death. And through that empty tomb, bring us life. And you listen to this. That if God would give us his own son, will he not freely give us all things? Listen, there's nothing behind God's back. Nothing. There's nothing that God is not going to give us that's not for our good. If he gave us the ultimate gift of his son, he's not going to all of a sudden say, well, forget answering that prayer. So what we got to realize as the gift of unanswered prayer is if we're begging God to remove the thorn of flesh, for some reason we have to have faith that it is for our good that we have it. Because he's not going to mess around with us. He's given us his son. So if there's still something lingering with us and something that he sees that we do not see, he's not removing it for our good. He's not. Because we know, we look at the cross, we realize he's given us the gift of gifts. There's nothing he's holding back. So the good news is, in the right time, for the right reasons that bring him glory, he might remove it. If not, it's that day when we see him face to face. That day where he's going to wipe away every tear. But we got to have faith, my brothers and sisters. God is not messing with our lives. He wants to bless us. He has blessed us. And for some reason, if there's a thorn in your flesh, God is blessing you with unanswered prayer. You know, it's interesting. Paul prayed three times. Did he not have faith to ring the bell? I mean, he prayed. And it says here that he exhorted. He urged strongly. Uh, this word, paracoleto. He called alongside. He was basically exhorting God, come alongside me. Come alongside me. Relieve me, God. If you prayed those prayers, please be with me, Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords, please come and take this away. And I think as Christians, oftentimes we pray these prayers, thy will be done prayers. You know those prayers like you kind of like cover everything with thy will be done? Okay, God, I really want this to happen, but thy will be done? I want to give you permission, my brothers and sisters to Christ. Ball up your fist and start banging on heaven's door, okay? He can handle it. If you got a thorn in your flesh, don't just say, oh, thy will be done. Of course his will will be done. He's a sovereign God, okay? It will be done. And of course we got to end that way. 
And that's a good redefining moment for our minds when we say God's will is better than our will. But you have every right, child of God, to ball up your fist and start banging on heaven's door. Bang on it. Continually bang on it. If your marriage needs prayer, pray. If your job needs prayer, pray. If your finances need prayer, pray. If you're in bad health, pray. If your kids are prodigals, pray. And bang on heaven's door. Call God alongside of you. Urge him. Exhort him. He listens. He's Father. He's God. He's good. But then at the end of the day, we do have to say, thy will be done. Look at Jesus. I mean, it happened in Jesus' own life. I mean, at the end of his life where he's sweating blood in the garden, knowing about what he's going to go pay, what does he do three times? Lord, if you can, take this thorn from me. Take this cup from me. It's killing me. Literally, it's going to kill me. He exhorted with God. And yet, he came back to that point. Okay. But I trust. Your will be done. You see, there is a blessing for unanswered prayer. And Jesus knows why he has, why he ha- what he has in your life. Listen, again, I don't know why some of you have the thorns you do. I confess that Paul was right in 1 Corinthians 13. I, I-, I see dimly. I see in part. But he hasn't answered some of your prayers because he is so good and gracious. Just look at your life. Think about some of those prayers that would have been answered. Then you see this blessed paradox of weakness in verses 9 and 10. Incredible. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may tabernacle on me. It's a beautiful word. It's, it's that the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. It's the same word here. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's, here, here's the beauty of this, and we got to see this. He says, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. Here's what he says. He doesn't say, I'm going to take away your thorn. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm, going to, I'm just going to clear up the whole problem. He doesn't say that. He says that I'm going to give you something that is going to counterbalance whatever you're going through. It will be as good as you need it to be for your thorn. My grace, my love, my presence, my mercy, it will be sufficient for your trial, whatever it is. He doesn't promise to deliver us from that trial. He promises to say, my grace will be sufficient. And then we see this unbelievable phrase, the perfecting of God's power. How in the world could God say this phrase? My power will be perfected in your weakness. And what he's saying is this. I will show my glory and my power in the greatest manifestation, in the greatest way, through your brokenness, through your weakness. It's going to be perfected through you, not through your strength. And now he goes on to say, incredible, he says, my power, the power of God, it tabernacles upon you. It overshadows you and your weaknesses. That's God's power. Matthew Henry says this, the Lord has more need of our weakness. Listen, the Lord has more need of our weakness than our strength. Our strength is often his rival. Our weakness, his servant. Drawing on his resources and showing forth his glory. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's security is Satan's opportunity. God's way is not to take his children out of trial, but to give them strength to bear up against it. And as as I uh, 
as I travel, I'm one of those guys that tries to shove everything I can in one suitcase and then play the 50-pound game. None of my clothes weigh, my clothes weigh probably more than most of your all's clothes. And again, I just pack that thing to the gills. And then when I come home and don't have any souvenirs for my kids, I say, I had no room. <laughs> Couldn't put anything in there. All my stuff's in there. Well, oftentimes we live our lives jam-packed with all the stuff that we want to say, God, there's no room. There's no room. He says, no, listen, what I really want from you is an empty vessel. What you really are is you're a jar of clay. You're a jar of clay. And you have a treasure inside, a broken, pliable jar of clay. And you know what? The light of Christ shines a whole lot better in you when you're broken. The light of Christ shines a whole lot better in you when you come out and say, you know what? I'm I'm weak, but he is strong. Hey, we're going to have to go to the table here. And so I have one last point, and it's the blessed hope of tomorrow. And, and really, it's, it's this. It's the fact that no matter what happens in our life, we know that a day is coming. And that should shine light into our life to get uh, our lives um, to, to be able to bear up whatever we're carrying right now. Let me just say it this way. I'll give you one illustration, then we're going to go to the table. Because we've got to remember his brokenness to heal us. Is there a basketball game tomorrow? Who's playing tomorrow? Who's playing tomorrow? Okay, Memphis and Kansas. Um, Two teams I'm sure we're all passionate about, right? Do we have any Memphis or Kansas fans here? All right, very good. (laughs) Hank woke up to clap. All right, Hank. uh, Just kidding, Hank. He's from Memphis. Now, let's say that God gave Hank one of those incredible Paul moments where he was transported to the third heaven in paradise and of all the things he was able to see, he was able to see that Memphis won on a three-point shot at the buzzer to win by one, okay? Now, Hank has that information. He says, now come back, and you can't tell anybody, but I want you to watch the game, and I want you to know that the very end, there's going to be a three-point shot, about half court. It's going to be nothing but net, and they're going to win by one. They're going to cut down the nets, national championship. Now, Hank's watching that whole game, and in the beginning, Memphis is down by 20. You think he's okay? How's he living his life? And at halftime, all the commentators are saying, man, it's clearly Kansas' night. I mean, the Jayhawks are going to walk away with a national championship here. It's unbelievable. And Hank's smiling. He's saying, I know the truth. And then when they come out in the second half, he's like, I know what's going to happen. I know, I know we're going to win. I know the championship is ours. And even when their best man fouls out, he's like, I know we're going to win. I know the championship is ours. And then as the clock ticks down, it looks like it's for sure. Out of, there goes the ball and swish. And Hank's like, I told you, we're going to win. See, we've got to live our life in light of tomorrow. In Christ, we win. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more thorns. We're not there yet. Until that day, we've got to know that he's going to use whatever he brings into our life for our good and his glory. How is it with you? Your prayers being answered? Can you trust them when they're not? Look to this table and remember what he's done for us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you know so much more than we do and that we can ball up our fists as your children and we can bang on heaven's door and we can plead to a God who hears and a God who loves and a God who acts on our behalf. But at the end of the day, when our prayers are unanswered, we can say glory to the name of Jesus because he knows best. And this thorn in my flesh, for some reason, is bringing him glory. 
And I will rest in glory in my Redeemer. Jesus, we thank you for the thorn on your head, the crown of thorns that reminds us that you are our King and you are a King who suffered and a King who lives to intercede for us. As we go to your table, come and feed us now through the broken bread and the poured out wine. We pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. As the elders come and uncover the table, would you please uncover your hearts? Uncover your hearts from any sin that you need to confess, any brokenness, and prepare your hearts to meet with Jesus.